Osterlink here with another edition of Fine Wisdom. That's hashtag Fine, F-E-I-N, Wisdom. I'm here with constitutional scholar Bruce Fine. How you doing, Bruce? I'm doing well this morning. Thanks, Michael. A nice sunny day. Rosy finger dawn in May. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> and it's May, actually, 2015. The threat level has risen over this past weekend. Threats from ISIS to attack U.S. military installations domestically and abroad. And you have an interesting mm -hmm. response, which is not really typical of most folks who want to declare a global war against this entity called ISIS. Talk about your response. Yeah. Well, first, with regard to the, you know, the consensus other than Rand Paul on the, the other side, and most vocal out of the Republican candidates in South Carolina this weekend, all of them bellowing, you know, we will crush them everywhere, uh, we should bomb them back into the Stone Age. Remember, that was the refrain of Curtis LeMay during the Vietnam War, and uh, we ended up with 56,000 uh, dead names uh, names on uh, the Vietnam War Memorial and spent a trillion dollars for nothing and now we're defending those who are attacking against China's incursions in the maritime area of the South China Sea, you know, utter disaster. Um, but this is sort of this savage response, you know, scorched earth policy. I mean, that's what the Soviets tried in Afghanistan too and they lost it. It doesn't work. You know, scorched earth, it presents resentment. It may be for a period of time you can suppress it. It's a little bit like uh, Putin in Chechnya, uh, but he's got permanent resistance there. He spends some staggering sum trying to uh, suppress the rebellion. Uh, but putting that aside, um, some argue implicitly that without this scorched earth approach, you know, kill anything that moves abroad, we are helpless to defend ourselves, which I think is historically and legally wrong, flatly wrong. Uh, these actions, whether they're hatched abroad or not, that are intended uh, to have consequences in the United States are crimes. They are crimes that can be prosecuted in the United States. Indeed, that's what's happening with regard to many of those who were detained at, at Gitmo. Uh, sometimes they're prosecuted by military commissions, uh, but that's still a prosecution, uh, not war. Uh, most of the time, as civilians uh, courts have handled uh, the terrorist cases, vastly more than the handful that have been had by military commissions. The sentences in the civilian courts have been more harsh uh, than in the military courts. Uh, someone as uh, vocal as Michael Chertoff, who was at one time head of the Homeland Security, uh, was an architect of many of the policies I posed, but when he was the head of the criminal division in the U.S. Department of Justice <clears throat> shortly after 9-11, he went out of his way to praise the ability of civilian courts to try and uh, prosecute and to sentence a terrorist uh, with a deterrent effect. And he had experience when he himself was a prosecutor, I believe, in New York, but maybe it, was in this, it could have been another jurisdiction. Uh, and that's acknowledged. If you look at the prosecutions today, uh, the numbers, they are civilian trials, uh, largely conspiracy cases, um, and they have stemmed from U prosecutions for the USS Cole, uh, from the bombings in Tanzania and in uh, 1998 and in Kenya uh, of our embassies. Uh, now, I want to underscore, that doesn't mean that every single incident gets successfully prosecuted. That's true of everything. Even in the United States, Michael, only Arrests are made in only two-thirds of the homicide cases where someone could have been murdered. Just arrests, not, not prosecution. Uh, and the fact is, no, no criminal law is going to be 100% perfect, uh, just like the war after 9-11 certainly is not 100% perfect either. There continues to be ISIS attacks and whatever, precisely 
kinds of things you've described. But certainly there has not been any showing historically that these actions, the threats abroad, I'm saying to threaten abroad or conspire abroad to kill an American in the United States is a crime under U.S. law. And we have the authority under U.S. law to capture by kidnap, you might call it kidnapping or otherwise, these persons, if they're in a hostile territory, and bring them back for trial. The same way Israel had kidnapped Adolf Eichmann in Argentina, brought them back to Jerusalem for a trial. And this has been done before. It's not unique. Uh, it's somewhat more difficult than if the individual is in the United States and it's easier to detain them. And moreover, it's not simply a matter that, you know, if we can't capture them, they go free. We can use deadly force under constitutional law if the fleeing indicted felon would create an imminent danger of serious harm to others. Uh, but that's still a criminal justice model. The problem of moving, crossing the Rubicon into the war model, is then anything goes. Then you can kill 68-year-old grandmothers. It's all collateral damage. There is no law. It is all secret. And that breeds retaliation, resentment, and it makes us less safe uh, because of the unjustified killings that naturally occur. Well, let me ask you, because you mentioned the Israelis and how they snatched mm -hmm. a former mm -hmm. Nazi mm -hmm. uh, in Argentina. Uh, and there's some concerns, I would imagine, on sovereignty. You know, because mm -hmm. the Israelis are violating in this case, the Argentinian, or in that case, the Argentinian sovereignty. Mm -hmm. Now, if we indicted someone for the coal bombing in Tanzania or some, you know, f f you know, near future attack, and they were in a foreign country, not an ally of the United States, I would imagine if they're in Germany, the Germans would turn them mm -hmm. over. If they're in England, mm -hmm. the English would turn them over. But let's say they're in, you know, uh, Yemen or Pakistan. Uh, Pakistan's a semi-ally, but questionable. Uh, Yemen, Syria, Iraq. Uh, you know, uh, what about the sovereignty of that country with, when U.S. special operators go in and snatch and grab a bad guy? Yeah, those are <clears> legitimate <throat> concerns, but I think the urgency and the justification of, of law enforcement overrides that because in some sense that nation has become complicit in aiding and abetting the evasion of our laws. Uh, it's a little bit messy, you're right, but the U.S. Supreme Court, in a case that stemmed from Mexico and the killing of one of our DE agents, said, well, the Fourth Amendment protects us at home, not foreigners abroad. Uh, although you're raising a different issue, it's just the invasion of sovereignty. But it is a problem, which is why oftentimes it's very hazardous to execute uh, these measures, uh, because the foreign sovereign may use the military to try to oppose you. So it's, it's not, a, you know, a simple exercise. I mean, what a good example would be the efforts to try to extricate our hostages, sometimes involved in death. Hmm. They're being held uh, in, illegally in foreign countries. You know, we're not going to get the Syrians to extradite anyone uh, to the United States of America. So does it mean that, my, that the criminal justice model is flawless? No. There's going to be no model that's flawless. But what we're searching for, Michael, is the optimal model that's better than the alternatives. And historically, the criminal justice model has proven the optimal model. The war model, like say, it leads to abuses, it leads to war and, and unjustified killings that come back to haunt us. Thank you, Bruce.